Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. After a historic summer for women's football, the Women's Super League returned this weekend and there were a fair few shocks along the way. This weekend, it's back and it's Derby weekend. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. They won the WSL back-to-back. Since then, until now, they've been absolutely drifting and it's unacceptable. Here she goes, Dingle, she's down again. Foon and Russo factor is really important. If United don't capitalise on that, they'll be absolutely daft. There's a general perception that they have underperformed as a club. WSL history for Aston Villa. For the first time, they take points off Manchester City in this competition. All eyes are on both of those teams playing on Sunday. This is what we want to see. So with us for this pod, commentator Robin Cowan and author of Unsuitable for Females, Dr. Carrie Dunn. That felt, because of the results, Carrie, like a very good game week one, as we now call it. Yes, wasn't it amazing? Um, I don't think anyone would have got made any money on any accumulators if they were betting on WSL <laughs> matches this first weekend. Yeah, absolutely stunning first, first round of matches. Does it, does it give you even more hope? for the new season, Robin? Oh, definitely, yeah. This is what we want to see, is not the sort of procession of of the top three beating everyone. And then, because it used to be that the the sort of head-to-heads between City, Chelsea and Arsenal would decide the title. And we're definitely seeing that sort of not become so significant anymore. Like last season, we had Arsenal losing to Birmingham, uh, who eventually got relegated. And then we've already got this on the first weekend. So I think the fact that it's just showing that it is getting more competitive, that the sort of lower mid-table teams are capable of pulling off these upsets. It's just going to yeah, make it more attractive a viewing. Is it just other teams getting stronger or do you think in any way, either of you, there are, there are other reasons? For example, coming off the back of an international summer, Carrie? Yeah, I think it's been a bit of an odd run-in to the start of this season. Obviously, we had the first week postponed so you know that that's kind of played havoc I imagine with preparations but yeah I think you know I hope the gap is closing I know that a lot of clubs are looking to invest in players and infrastructure in the way that our kind of big three or big four have been so hopefully that gap is closing as Robin says getting a more competitive domestic league which was always the plan behind having the women's super league in the first place just watching most of the games over the weekend, I think we can discount the Brighton game because they had a really early sending off. You know, that, was a, that was a convincing win. And then we also had Manchester United winning convincingly against Reading. But actually, just having a glance across all the games, they were really close, really, really good. And I think actually the teams are now, because it's been professional, every single year, the technical ability, the tactical nous of these players just gets that little bit better. And I, I really noticed that this weekend, that... Even Leicester, who are everyone's tipped to go down, I thought they, they showed some really good good flashes against Spurs and they lost because of two long ranges. So actually, I just think year on year, 
season on season, all of those little bits are just getting better. And so, yeah, I think teams will get closer. And hopefully we're not going to see, apart from if you do get a sending off, these sort of huge score lines. If you had to pick one result that stood out for you and a reason why, which would it be, Robin? Well, I think the, the obvious one is perhaps the Aston Villa Manchester City one. I think we all we were all very intrigued as to how Manchester City were going to cope losing all three of their first choice midfielders and the answer was not very well particularly. And Aston Villa I think again on paper we all thought they'd recruited really well and even though they obviously shipped three goals they just they played without fear. I think in previous seasons you have City, Chelsea and Arsenal teams go into them already sort of beaten they're scared they've got that fear factor and actually well Manchester City clearly I think that's decreased because of the losses they've had in their squad but Carla Ward just she was at right no front foot you're going to press you've got Rachel Daly up there just scurrying about making things happen so I mean that was it was a spectacular game and a, a spectacular result for Villa who really struggled at the end of last season We'll drill down into City in just a moment because they, mm. they take on Chelsea this weekend. But the, the same question, do you carry on a, on, a, on a result and why? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I probably would have picked out Villa. But I guess you know Liverpool coming straight back into the WSL and beating reigning champions. Um, I, I was in Liverpool last week for a book event and there were lots of Liverpool fans saying, how do you think we're going to do this season? I was like, no. I think you're going to be okay. And they were looking forward to the weekend. They weren't kind of approaching it with any kind of, oh, we've got Chelsea. It's a little bit, it's a little bit nervy. They were going in and they were quite confident that the team that uh, Matt Beard has got there would get a result. And, and they really did. And the way in which they did it, the way, again, as Robin said, they held their nerve right to the end. They never kind of looked like what? they were going to let it slip. And they had an awful start, didn't they? I mean, that's the other oh, thing, which, which, yeah. can, which can shatter a promoted side's confidence <laughs> against the champions inside two minutes. Yeah, and they just kept the focus, they kept you know, working, they kept to the game plan, and, and it absolutely paid off. I think that was the, the, the big point, Chappers, actually, because there was some stats, I can't remember exactly, but it's, it was something like Chelsea have not lost after taking the lead after about 40 WSL games. It was like a huge, huge run they've been on. And that's the big thing, is that actually to have that mentality to believe, to keep going and to come back against the sort of might of Chelsea is, is a real you know, feather in the cap for, for Liverpool. I t- to be honest, Robin, look, you know how it works. If if you can't remember a stat exactly, just just make it up. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> that's why nobody checks them really. Sound you know? confident? That yeah, sound confident enough. enough. <laughs> that be, oh, that's great. Uh, right, let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about some of the weekend games. Then a couple of huge derbies: Arsenal against Tottenham and Liverpool against Everton. But then there is also Chelsea against Manchester City. Let's start with that. Let's expand on the Manchester City stuff and then we'll, we'll come on to Chelsea. Can you, could, can you, either of you, you're not in the camp there, but can you put your finger on or explain even, Carrie, what the atmosphere is around City at the moment? It's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, as Robin mentioned, they've lost their entire first-choice first midfield. And I think everyone was expecting Manchester City to lose some players this summer they had lots of contracts running down i don't think 
anyone quite expected them to lose quite so many players in such a short space of time, meaning they hadn't got the opportunity to replace them. Because even last season, the squad was looking a little bit threadbare at times. They were struggling to get kind of a full bench occasionally. So I think it it must be a very, very difficult atmosphere at the moment, just kind of thinking, how are they going to get through this season looking to compete at the top? without that strength in depth that they have historically had, you know, particularly in that midfield, because let's face it, yes, okay, they've lost a few players, but there is a massive Kira Wolf-shaped hole there now. And how are you going to replace a player like that? I think that's going to be difficult for anyone to do, let alone with that short amount of notice. But, But also, not necessarily rebuilding from a position of strength, Robin, in the sense that they've lost all of these players. You know, Scott, White, Barsley retire, Stanway, mm. Bronze, Weir, Walsh go, you know, as far away as Euro, possible. Right? So, you know, to, to some of the great European clubs. But even with all of that, they were only third last year and only just scraping into third last year. So when I talk about from a position of strength, even with all of all of those players... You're not starting, you're not rebuilding as champions. Absolutely, yeah. And actually, I do think there's a general perception that they have underperformed as a club. They've had a lot of investment. They've only won the Super League once back in 2016. So I do think that there's a kind of question mark as to whether, as to how... I'm not sure the commitment to the women's team is the right way, because I think they've spent quite a lot of money, but it's kind of the way it's being spent. And also, I mean, we've got to say it, I think they the way they kind of... Um, look at coaches they tend to want to bring coaches through who are part of already the kind of city group whether that's in the youth system or one of their many other other clubs and just from the comments about particularly from Georgia Stanway when she left she was very firm on saying she wants to play consistently in one position now last season it was kind of like a she she was deployed at right back because they they had no one so it was kind of like a needs must thing but clearly there's something there that the that the players aren't happy with Carrie you have to say when you see comments like like that from Stanway it sounds a little bit it sounds a little bit Sunday league doesn't it it's like who's turned up who who who's who's right footed who yeah. can play right back oh you know Georgia's there she's good she, she can slot in and you can completely understand why a player who's well on the way to being world class would not want to be doing that would want to refine her own specialism her own skills and be able to play consistently in a preferred position and excel at it so yeah I think there are questions to be asked I mean we mentioned the the retirements um in in the losses for City I mean obviously. Jill Scott wasn't at City last season and she hadn't been there the season before I'd been out on loan. So that's not so much a loss that wouldn't that, that shouldn't have surprised them. I mean, surely yeah. there should have been some kind of succession planning, thinking we've got a couple of senior players who will be looking to step back pretty soon. What are we doing to make sure we have players in line to step up? Who are we watching to fill those gaps in the squad? And it just seems to have not happened. Do you think then, Carrie, there's a bit, there's a bigger picture here or a bigger issue here rather than simply Bayern, Barcelona a couple of times and Real Madrid coming in for their players? I think there is because when the City project first began, it was City who were the really attractive 
club for players all over the world to come to. You know, you had all kinds of top class players coming in and wanting to play for City because they were they were the big guns and they've fallen well down that ranking now. I mean, yes, sure, of course, there's some novelty factor in these other clubs who are kind of coming through and the other European leagues that are becoming more competitive. But yeah, I think there are serious questions to be asked. So whereas Chelsea, given the fact given the players they have brought in, Robin, there is much more forward planning. Oh, much more. And they got their business done early, uh, as they usually do. We already knew they were going to sign Perise and uh, and Buchanan. And in complete contrast to what you mentioned, Chappers, earlier, they were strengthening from a position of strength. So that was quite ominous. I know they lost the first game. It seems to be something they usually do, actually. I think they've lost the first game out of their last five seasons now. But the depth they have... That's the kind of the work that Emma Hayes has to do is to kind of fit all these pieces together, which she perhaps didn't quite do uh, against Liverpool uh, on the weekend. But yeah, no, they when you you know, it's the old cliche about the kind of Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United. You don't stand still because you've won something. You've got to just keep going and, and know when to where to recruit and just keep it. And obviously they have the capacity to because she's got the, the resources and it's a very attractive club to go to because they do win basically, you know, most things domestically. So, yeah, that that's the big difference. Uh, and just to back up Robin's stat there that she hadn't made up, uh, Chelsea have won only one of their past uh, five season openers. So there we, there we are. Well done. Um, um, and, I mean, Emma Hayes said after after Sunday's defeat, that they couldn't hit a barn door. So if they if they if they couldn't hit a barn door, that's a I mean that's something that will will be ironed out very very easily, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean I don't think Emma Hayes will be particularly worried to be honest about losing that that first game. She knows that, you know, marathon not a sprint and all those kind of clichés. They'll they'll be bouncing back. She'll have had words with the people who need to have had words had with them and they'll, they'll they'll bounce back ready for this this coming weekend because they'll know that this one will be a really big one and all eyes are, are, are on both of both of those teams playing on Sunday they are but it feels less of a uh it would feel less of a I was gonna say catastrophe but that's that's proper uh, exaggerating but it would feel <laughs> less of a problem less of an issue if Chelsea were to lose this wouldn't it? Because you'd still feel that they would come good. I know. I know. It sounds like we're being incredibly harsh on Manchester City, but but there's a there's a there's a stability about Chelsea and a and a you know a back catalogue to Chelsea's achievements that would suggest that even if they lost this, they'd still be all right. I think it, it wouldn't be great. I mean, losing the first two because you know even though you know there would be time to pull it back there really isn't that many games in this league you know there's there's still not that many teams and that many opportunities to make it up so it it wouldn't be great i think gosh if city managed to win this one i mean all of our analysis will be chucked out the window <laughs> i mean it's just yeah that would that would be insane but you know it they do have good players and yeah we've seen chelsea it just felt they really lacked intensity and and yeah, just a little bit sloppy with the with the finishing. But as you say, I, I, that'll be ironed out. They've got so many attacking players. You know, I, I think it, before the because um, Harder was supposed to play as well, wasn't she on the at the weekend? Mm. And she got injured, so they brought in a defensive midfielder. But before that, so it was like Harder, Kirby, Kerr, Lauren James. <laughs> you know, just think how is how is she actually going to 
how's she going about this? I mean, and actually, is that a little bit unbalanced? I'm not sure. You know, obviously, well, that, Emma well Hayes actually, is... that you, th- there comes the question then. Yeah. You know, it, are they going to have to accept that they can't all get in the same starting eleven? Yeah, I think I think it's an excellent question. I mean, and also in addition to to the players who started, you've still got Beth England. She's kind of sitting there waiting patiently for her chance, and you have to kind of think, well, a bit, a bit like we're talking about with 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 Stanway. Maybe it's time to think about next step for her. I don't know. It is a difficult thing because yes, Emma Hayes has got to accommodate all these you know, top class players, all presumably on decent wages. And get fit them into her system, and yeah, perhaps, perhaps that's not going to work this season. I don't know. Let's just play you a clip from the Athletic Women's Football podcast. Uh, Lindsay Hooper, who by the way did put a pound on Liverpool to beat Chelsea at uh, the way she didn't. <laughs> I mean, that still doesn't oh. mean she's done an acker there, Carrie. So she hasn't she hasn't predicted the most, but a whole pound, a whole I mean, pound. That, that's really that's real know, confidence, that's isn't it? That's going big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so obviously she'll be flush with her winnings, will Lindsay? <laughs> anyhow, on the on the women's football pod, she was joined uh, by former City and England keeper Karen Barsley, and they talked about how all those uh, City exiles are getting on in Europe. Let's also bring you up to date on Georgia Stanway and how she got on with Bayern Munich. She made her debut. Uh, she was booked actually after seven minutes. <laughs> I'm just going to let you laugh there in the background, Karen. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> Why am I not surprised? The only Bayern player to get booked as a new side drew nil-nil at Eintracht Frankfurt. Well, I mean, your laughter tells us everything. Should we begin with Georgia Stanway? Um, but also give us your thoughts on Bronze and Walsh as well and how you think they'll fare abroad. Uh, well, I mean, Georgia, I mean, where do you even start with her? I mean, the amount of times I've come away with, like, bruises on my shins and nearly broken legs in training. Like, this girl loves a tackle, you know. But... <laughs> It says it all, you know, like she, she wants to win. She's a competitor, just like Lucy, just like Kira. Um, and, you know, she, she just she just loves throwing herself about, you know, that that physicality is something that you don't necessarily see a lot in uh, the WSL. Um, so, yeah, I think it sets her apart. But, you know, as we saw over the course of the Euros as well, like she's starting to mature into into that as well. You know, so she's she's recognizing when she can and when she can't do it. But you know, um, she's, <laughs> she's probably super keen, you know, to kind of put herself in good stead over at Bayern Munich and kind of set her stall out. And I think she probably, probably did that. So, you know, fair play to her. Um, but it's, I think it's going to be really good for all of these girls to kind of go abroad and get a new experience. I think it's going to really develop them, not just as footballers, but as people and open their eyes to how, how other parts of the world play football and how other people live. I've seen some highlights already of Walsh doing what she does with those crossfield passes. <laughs> Do you see that? She just does it with ease, doesn't she? It's so natural for her, isn't it? It's like she does it in her sleep. You know, some of the, the vision that, you know, I've seen from her, I just think I just think of her as like Rochdale royalty, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I'll, <laughs> I'll always remember yeah. her like when she first came into City and she was like really quiet. Didn't say a whole lot, but as soon as she got her frilly socks off and put her boots on, you know, she was letting her football do the talking. So she, she You're always painting the picture the... there, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, just picture it. I mean, she, what was she at St. Bede's College at the time? And she'd get, come over from college, like just get changed, um, you know, just say a little hello. And then, then she'd go and do her thing on the pitch and absolutely just leave us all 
mouths agape with with wow. what she could do with a football at her feet. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to what she does. You know, surrounded by such talent over in Barcelona. And to listen to the whole show, uh, just search the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. And whilst you're there, hit subscribe. There's a new show out every week. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman, joined by Carrie Dunn and Robin Cowan. Let's move on to the North London Derby, Saturday lunchtime. Uh, you're doing the commentary for this, Robin. Uh, how are you uh, viewing this one? Well, it's going to be really exciting because it, it looks like it's going to break the WSL record, um, pushing towards 50,000, hopefully. And yeah, um, I did both of the North London Derbies last season. And um, the first one in particular at the Hive... Spurs took their first point off Arsenal and it was a fantastic game because Tottenham have really shown a great progression. Last season they were really hard to score against and I think that's the thing they're focusing on this season is trying to you know, add a little bit more in attack, although they've lost Rachel Williams who was great for them last season. She's gone to Manchester United. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting one because I think they were talking about this on the Athletic Women's Football podcast, that actually because it's being played at the Emirates, it's probably not going to be so partisan. There's going to be probably fairly 50-50 in terms of fans. So it might actually be a little bit more of a disadvantage to Arsenal as opposed to playing at Boreham Wood where they're used to it being pretty much Arsenal fans. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's going to be... Um, I hope it's going to be a good competitive game. Arsenal didn't have a great result in the Champions League uh, yesterday, drawing two all with Ajax. So that's something they're going to have to focus on next week as well in their qualifier because they need to win that to get into the, the group stage. So um, I think Spurs might feel like there might be something for them here. Because the history of this, Carrie, as, as Roman's alluded to, is very much one way. It is. Um, and... It- it's become slightly more competitive in the past couple of seasons, I'd say. Um, Spurs will fancy their chances a little bit more. But even going back only a couple of seasons, Arsenal drew Spurs in the uh, in, in the FA Women's Cup and absolutely thrashed them. I think it was 9-0 at Boreham Wood. And obviously Arsenal were professional then and Spurs weren't. They were still, they, they were still um, resolutely amateur at that point. It was before they got promoted. And it was really interesting crowd that day um, because you had a lot of casual Arsenal fans coming across attracted by the fact it was Arsenal Spurs. And so they didn't quite understand that obviously one team was professional and the other team was not. But obviously now we've got two fully professional squads, as Robin said, playing at a fantastic stadium where it's going to be a very, very noisy crowd. Um, Possibly more Spurs fans than you might have expected in terms of proportion at one of the men's games at the Emirates between Arsenal and Spurs. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very intriguing one. And Spurs will have watched that match last, last night and they will be fancying their chances, I think. What do you think Tottenham's aims are for this season, both of you? I think they had the highest ever finished, didn't they, last season? Yeah. I think it's always going to be so difficult to to kind of break into that top four even. Top three get Champions League. But, I mean, I think that, that's that's probably the, the aim, knowing that if they don't reach that, 
it's not not terrible because everyone else is strengthening around them. You know, West Ham, Aston Villa, all the kind of teams that are sort of on their on their level. I think maybe a name would be to take more points off the off the top three, the top four, because that's been a, a struggle for them generally. So, yeah, I mean, as I say, I think it and also perhaps to just be a little bit more of an attacking threat as opposed to just a, a really solid defensive unit, maybe. It's difficult in WSL because, as, as we said, we've got that kind of four teams at the top that have historically kind of locked out um, those top places and then you've got kind of everybody else looking to push forward. So, yes, I think it's points tally altogether you have to look at because if you finish sixth one season, you've got more points than you did when you finished fifth last season, then that's probably still progress because we have so few matches in the WSL as well. So it's difficult to assess. So I think, yes, more points than last season for Spurs and they'll be moderately happy with that and certainly pushing towards that fourth place. Even even though that sort of top four and then Tottenham being the best of the rest, even though Manchester United came very late to the Women's Super League party, are they still they still got a they still got a march on a team like Tottenham did they yeah i think so because they they recruited very well you know very aggressively and i think also they had one of the best young coaches in Casey Stoney she she's absolutely fantastic and she's she's doing well in the states now and then also i think mark, mark skinner you know i think they've got really two very good coaches there to take them on and to and to keep going and i think yeah i <laughs> Man United are a weird one because obviously they got a huge amount of criticism for not having a women's team for ages, and now they are they've got they've got these two absolute superstars from the Euros, you know, in Tune and and Russo, who people want to go and see. It's great to see the Man United fans; they do come out and they do make a lot of noise. So it, you know, fair play to them. I think there there was still a couple of question marks behind the scenes, as there are with most of these women's teams about the sort of infrastructure and things yeah. like that, but. Um, but no, I think yeah, that they 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 seem to have done it all much quicker, I'd say, than the others. This kind of slowly building, like Brighton and Spurs, it was sort of just incrementally getting a little bit more competitive. Tune and Russo factor is really important. If United don't capitalise on that and you know put so much more money into their women's team now in terms of infrastructure, but also marketing, they'll be absolutely daft. And if there's one thing we know about Man United, they're very good at marketing, and they'll know that they need to be capitalising on the Tune and Russo factor, the Euros factor. Get more people in. Make sure that you're investing in facilities for the future. Be thinking about a long term plan. It's not just about this season. And yeah, I think they'll be looking to the future already. Uh, it took us slightly off course there. Back back to uh, back to Arsenal, Tottenham. Uh, uh, we talked about the departures from City. We talked about the signings brought in at Chelsea. Arsenal are very much stability, aren't they? I mean that that is their message of the summer, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal are a funny one because both Jonas Seideval and previous manager Joe Montemuro have both been very keen on having quite a small, compact kind of squad. So where fans are saying, we need to bring in more signings, we need new faces, they're always like, no, we need to get rid of you know, people who are not getting in the first team, make it less competitive, make sure that we've got the nucleus of the squad that we want to use. And again, we saw some of that last night against Ajax with the with, with the very, very young players on the bench. It's bringing the young players through 
uh, to support the first team rather than having you know, experienced squad players added to it. So, yes, yeah, stability, getting those players to sign new contracts, you know, people like Vivian Miedemar staying was, was, the, was the big story around Arsenal uh, this year. And, yeah, again, looking to capitalise on new superstar in Beth Mead, I guess, and um, just looking at how they're going to progress in the Champions League because I think that has got to be the next step because they have been... Pretty disappointing, I would say, in terms of their European campaigns in recent years. Um, <laughs> the first match, I know, of, of a Champions League campaign can never really tell us how they're going to do in the next leg. But I think there are, again, questions to be asked and work to be done uh, before the second leg there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Uh, let's move on to the Merseyside derby, Liverpool Everton. This is Sunday, six forty-five kickoff uh, at Anfield. Um, if we go back to April twenty twenty, and the Athletic Sarah Shepherd wrote a piece, Robin, uh, titled "Liverpool FC Women Second Class Citizens." In the two and a bit years since, what has changed? Well, obviously they they've gone down. They went back to the Championship. Have come back up, and I'd like to think more has changed but I think we, we can't the result against Chelsea that doesn't really prove much in terms of what's gone on off the pitch I think they've got a, a great manager in Matt Beard who obviously is extremely experienced and knows what what he's doing it's not something I know a lot about you know but but it's it's seriously disappointing in terms of the where the women's team have been since they they won the WSL back to back and it's just since then until now they've been absolutely drifting, and it's it's just it's unacceptable for a, a club that size to to let that happen. Especially given they had that success, they should have really kind of capitalised on that. Like Carrie was saying about you know Toon and Russo, you know you need to you know make that an advantage, make that a selling point. You know these not many teams have won the Super League, and that one of only uh, four teams, I think. So it's just yeah, I'm hoping behind the scenes, there's more to be done. Was it right, Carrie, when Neil Redfern was there? Because he left because he was so disappointed with how they were treated. I think he was buying them mattresses or something, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. it, it's yeah. just outrageous what was happening it, there. 
It is. I mean, I guess the, the kind of comfort I take from the fact that they're back in the WSL is that they'll be fully pro now. Yeah. Um, in 2013 and 2014, when they won the WSL previously, we still weren't fully professional in the WSL. And the championship, as we know, is still semi-pro. So making that step up and having the ambition to be back in the WSL does give me a little bit of confidence to think that, yes, they've got the backing there. Yes, there must be some kind of structure there that means they've improved from the, the last time that when, when, when they were suffering because things have changed in the top flight and so Liverpool must have changed to get back into it. But with a, with a manager who, who won the title twice with that non-professional side. So now imagine what he can do or what they hope he will be able to do within a professional setup. Yeah, Matt Beard um, and and his kind of honours list has been has been fantastic. Obviously, he popped in to cover Tanya Oxtaby's maternity leave at Bristol City um, a little while ago, and he t- did such a fantastic job there, just trying to get the squad together for a side that were struggling so much and they were already so far behind. He actually gave them some hope that they might be able to stay up. And yeah, to be given resources at Liverpool, to be given some money, it will be very, very interesting to see what he can achieve with that. Also interesting to see what his tactics are, Robin, against Everton. Bearing in mind they sat, you know, they had a low block. They sat deep uh, against Chelsea mm. to keep them at bay. Very, very different now against Everton side, who are probably trying to find their feet as well. So, ha- so his tactics could be very different this week. Yeah, no, it is going to be really interesting. I think I'm not sure Leanne Kiernan, who was really bright, she went off with what looked like a quite a bad ankle injury. So um, she's going to be a big miss. But I think, yeah, because Everton, having watched the game against West Ham, it looked like those scars from last season haven't really healed yet because that was real traumatic. You know, everyone was going, oh, they're going to get in the Champions League. And then they, you know, three managers later... They finished 10th out of 12th. It was absolute disaster for them last season. It looked like it's still going to take some time, even though they've got the what looks like a very good manager who's actually been there for quite some time. He was kind of installed almost before the end of last season because they had an interim. So he's been there over the summer. You know, he's had a good amount of time, but it just looked like they were really toothless against West Ham. So this is a really interesting one because I think possibly... Pre last weekend, Everton would have been sort of slight favourites, having been the more established WSL side. But because of Liverpool's result, it's going to be all up for grabs. It's going to be a really, really good contest, I think. Kerry, I think Everton will be looking much like Arsenal, I guess, for for more stability this season. Mm. With as as Robin mentioned, the managerial changes, um, some of those quite unfortunate results um, that that they will still be kind of living bright in their memories. Yeah, I think stability is what they'll be looking for this season. And I think the fact that they're playing Liverpool so early on will actually be quite good for them. I think they'll be going out kind of looking to kind of establish themselves, saying, look, we're not the same team as we were last season. This is a new era. We're going to be kind of consistent. We're not going to let those slip-ups happen anymore. Um, Let's start here against, against the rivals. So, yeah, it will be very fascinating to watch. Would you expect that crowd to be fairly balanced as well? No. <laughs> right, okay, right. No, but give it bear in mind what you said about the bear in mind what you said about mm. the Emirates and Arsenal Tottenham. And I re- I just wondered whether whether that might feel more 
balanced it, for it, this one. It might be more balanced than in the men's game, but I don't sure. think it'll be evenly balanced because it's still going to be a, a smaller ground. So I still think your home fans are going to be slightly more rowdy and partisan. But yes, again, still more balanced than you might expect from a men's derby. Robert? I'm not sure. I think it might be it might be quite even. I guess it just depends. Although I know it's it's obviously been moved for telly. Not a great kickoff time for sort of families. I think that that's been flagged quite a few times. The sort of six forty five on a Sunday, you yeah. know, and and that that is the USP of women's football. It's great to have something to take your kids to, as I now very much know. So well, that you need to well, yeah, you need to occupy them constantly. Yeah. And six forty five is just not not on, no. is it really? What what. What what would be, I because I this is this is not just a a, a women's football. I find it in men's mm. football as well. I always think kickoff times and the day make a massive difference to to atmosphere and performance. Yeah. And I know so t- take take the example of Brentford Arsenal in 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 the men's last year. And I know the teams are slightly different now, but last year. Opening game of the whole season, Friday night, eight o'clock, under lights. It was absolutely rocking. And I know mm. circumstances were different this weekend as well, obviously. This this year, Sunday lunchtime at midday, and it felt a bit like a picnic, really. So <laughs> um so trying to find ideal kickoffs for for TV audiences the crowd and the demographic that you're trying to attract, but also to get the right atmosphere is is not easy. And I don't think there's I don't think there's gonna be an answer for it really. I mean even the the North London Derby at half one on Saturday, it's not a you know, lunchtime games can can have a very different atmosphere to a four o'clock game or an eight o'clock game. Yeah, I I think so. Even though it is an issue for both the men's and the women's, I do think it's it's important to separate because actually the the women's game is aimed at a different audience than the men's. Um, it's much more affordable. It's it is for families. Like I'm gonna, I take my son to to a women's game at a non-league ground because he's two and he doesn't want to sit down, so he'll be running around. So it's just it's just different. And they you know they have face painting and stuff like that. It's just it's different. And I think that's a good thing. So actually, I think one in terms of like the target audience, one thirty on a Saturday isn't too bad because you can you know get home at a, yeah. at a reasonable time. Um, but I mean, I think in terms of general, it's uh, it, it's not good that it keeps being moved because we've got the issues of actually getting home. You know, we, we were talking beforehand about, you know, Carrie's train woes and <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So yeah. that that'll be a podcast extra, that, that <laughs> conversation. But, uh, no, but own, I think Robin's right, though. <laughs> it's the it's the constant conundrum of women's football and it has been since the WSL started because obviously when it first started it was a summer league and the idea yeah. was that there wouldn't be any men's football for it to overlap with so now we're running on the winter league because that's what all the cup competitions also run on we have the problem of where are we going to play because the men's teams are still playing and there's so many grounds being shared so you've got to kind of fit in to the fixture list and you've got to think are we overlapping with the equivalent men's team is there a massive journey for the men's team's fans to travel from one match to the other can they get to both um so we have kind of additional challenges in the women's game and it is so difficult and i am not sure there is an ideal solution at the moment unless we start building many more easily accessible grounds for the women's super league matches to be held in but i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon 
Uh, we will leave it there. Somebody, somebody in the athletic uh, editorial team will have listened to this, and there will be a long read coming up about train journeys for fans and journalists at a weekend. Uh, <laughs> at least twelve thousand words on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robin, <laughs> Carrie, thank you. See you both soon. That's it for today. A reminder, you can read the best insight on the WSL on The Athletic, including Michael Cox's analysis of Chelsea's loss to Liverpool, uh, Paul Ballas on Kira Walsh's arrival at Barcelona, and also Flo Lloyd-Hughes on Rachel Daly transforming Aston Villa. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this feed. For now, though, goodbye.